podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on Barca Talk, Gerard Piquet has given us some inside information. FCB Femini took a loss in Lyon, but they're keeping their Champions League run competitive. And the international friendlies are getting us excited for the World Cup this summer. So, let's talk. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here in Buffalo, New York, and joining me from Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? What's what's going on in Madrid? Uh, Madrid is going better. We're not raining here. I'm on spring break. I got nine days off, Brian. I'm super pumped. I'm going to try to do as much as I can this upcoming week, but we'll see. I, You know, we were kind of talking before. You know, you think you have all this free time. We're not as young as we used to be. We get tired very easily now. I know. I just, I, I, I'm just finishing up spring break. I still have exams to grade, uh, and that really needs to be done by Monday. <laughs> and I'm still, and I'm not planning ahead, which I said I would do uh, for my the class I'm teaching right now. And uh, yeah, I just, I. I thought I would have all this time to do all this stuff, and I did not achieve all of that. But uh, got some got some stuff done, got some rest in, which was nice. So I'm just finishing spring break. You're just starting spring break, and you just got paid. Yeah, I just got paid. You know, it's the funniest thing here. We don't have a set schedule when we get paid by our school. It's a surprise. They just say at the end of the month, right? So we don't know if it's going to be the 27th. It could be the 29th because we have a lady – who pays us essentially at the school. She does the direct deposit. So depending on how responsible she is or, you know, whatever. And we were having a debate about this among my other uh, language assistants. We were putting a bet down if we were going to get paid on Friday or next Wednesday, because technically, you know, the first of the month is next week. But this morning I checked my account and I got paid. I was, woohoo, got paid out of nowhere. So it's very nice. You know, that surprise money is always nice feeling, Brian. Oh, yeah, I know. I was just imagining this this one woman actually just like walking from from one uh, language assistant's home to the other with just like little envelopes of cash or like she's carrying a little cash box. Like, here you go. And this it yeah, just yeah. like it sounds very Spanish. Like, yeah, it'll get done by the end of the month. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the thing. When I used to live in Saragossa, Brian, they would tell us that we would get paid between the first – and the 16th of the month. (laughs) But this is after, so this is the month after, right? So imagine I work October to November, then we would get paid between November 1st and the 16th. So you never knew what day it was. It was like, you know, Russian roulette, essentially, right? (laughs) You're like, except less painful, right? You're just waiting. You're waiting to get paid. So every day you're just, am I going to get paid tomorrow? Nope, not today. Tomorrow? uh, It was super frustrating. At least here we get paid earlier which is definitely nice. So I can't complain too much. Yeah. But how do you plan? Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it was really difficult because here in Spain, you get paid monthly, you know, in the oh, States yeah. we get paid bi-weekly essentially. So, or twice, you know, twice a month essentially. And that was really hard for me to get used to getting paid monthly. Cause you just, there's such a gap between the checks, but I've been able to manage Brian and especially, you know, this past couple of years, just trying to figure out, you know, especially now that I'm living alone, Dealing with utility bills here is another thing. We get, for example, we get our electricity bill every two months. So it's a nice two month surprise that you get. Yeah. So. And so it's a little bit bigger, maybe. And- exactly. Oh, exactly. Man. Yeah. Uh, budgeting has yeah. been a nightmare for me this past week. So I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's talk about FC Barcelona and things Let's related to that. 
Let's do it. So first up, of course, uh, there weren't any games this week. Uh, well, there was, there were international friendlies. Uh, so we will talk about that a little bit, but there weren't any Barcelona games. So the primary directive of this podcast has been thwarted for this week. But we do have some things to talk about. And the first thing is this really nice, beautiful, and hilarious article that Gerard Piquet wrote in the magazine Players' Tribune. And do you, did you know about this magazine before? Because I, I checked their About section and I learned a little bit about it. Yeah, I did. I knew, I knew you know, it's kind of a funny joke because um, it was started with Derek Jeter. He was one of the main guys behind it. Who's yeah, the he founded it player. apparently. Yeah, and basically he wanted to give the players a voice. You know, basically drive their own story when news broke of maybe free agency and so forth. Before with basketball players, it's kind of hokey because a lot of the players, when they get traded or go to another team, they write a thank you letter through the Players' Tribune to their old fans, essentially. And a lot of there's been a lot of criticism because it's not really a, a viable newspaper, quote unquote, you know, because it's run by the players and they're kind of driving their own narrative. However, when PK joined, I think it's been magical because the interviews he's been able to get with Neymar, Mascherano, Luis Suarez, and now with this article, it's been spectacular insight onto these, not only these players that we don't really get to see in-depth uh, interviews with, but also this article is just, it's just fantastic. So, you know, I don't really follow it that much. But especially when PK posts something through the the player streaming, I definitely follow up on it. Yeah, see, when you told me about it a a few days before we're recording this right now, and of course I just read it right before we recorded, that's how behind I am on my spring break schedule. uh, I I was happy, actually. I was worried, actually, that uh, I would have to read it in Spanish, do some Google Translate, and deal with that situation. But no, there's a very nice, well-translated English version on the website. And there's also, I think... There is a Spanish version and a Catalan version. Yeah, there's all three, essentially. And also on the video, too, that accompanies this, there's like a seven-minute video where he talks about uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and his time there. It's in all three languages. So essentially, you know, I don't know. I, I imagine he didn't sit down at a typewriter and write this out, right? I imagine that he voiced this and someone wrote it out for him. But, you know, the, the most basic thing about this, it's very honest. And I just love his point of view of everything, because I agree with most of it. Um, but the beginning of the, of the article is the best. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, I'm going to just read part of the part of it. It's just so great. It's like, everybody knows that footballers have text groups and what's up. I have one just for my friends from home and I have another just from Barca teammates, but my favorite one might surprise you earlier this season when we are already eight or nine points clear of real Madrid in the league. I started a special group for some of the guys in the Spanish national team who play for Real Madrid and Barcelona. If only you read what media says, you would think that we hate another. But in fact, we all get along really well. We text back and forth about tactics and football philosophies and even the books we're reading. No, come on. Of course, I'm joking. (laughs) All we do in the group is talk shit. And that is the greatest, right? That is the greatest. Oh, yeah. That turn in that that moment is like, yes, yes. (laughs) Because when I started reading that, I was like, oh, wow. Maybe they're really more mature, more, you know, on this other higher level than – but no, they're not, you know. I mean, that's the beauty of WhatsApp groups. I have WhatsApp groups with my boys back in the U.S. And all we do is just talk shit. And it's the greatest, right? Because that's (laughs) – you still, you know, even though we're in different parts of the world, we're able still to communicate. And I just love that, you know, he's able to talk shit 
to these Real Madrid players day in and day out right now. So it's great. Right now, yeah. And they're able to yeah. talk shit to him. But I, I mean, like, the line that I like where he's talking about this is when he says, we're just like little kids. And, you know, even though these are grown men making millions of dollars or pounds or euros or whatever, um, Japanese yen, I don't know, Bitcoin, <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> that would be a crazy club that paid everyone in Bitcoin. Um, it, you have to remember that I feel like there is this interesting conflict with with sports and professional sports is that there's all this money on the line and these are young people, right? They have to be young in order to be fit and to do the job. And so you hear a lot of people talk about how, you know, all oh, these people are getting paid so much money to play a child's game. And yes, that's true. But, of course, the money comes from how how much attention we all pay to it and, you know, all the media coverage and the mass the mass media coverage of it. And that it's just it's actually just a slice. What any one player is getting is just a slice of a much, much larger pie. You know, so it's like if you have a real problem with how much professional athletes get paid, there's a simple solution. Stop watching, you know, but that's that's besides my point. My real point is. You have to maintain that kind of childlike attitude a little bit if you're a professional athlete because it is a game ultimately and you have to be – you have to think young and do sort of like kind of childish things to like stay in that. Exactly. And the other thing too is you know football is one of those only sports where you know you play this club and then also you have this national team that are both really important. You know I can't think of any other sports really – I mean – you know, where there's so many um, importance, not only on the club, but also on the national team. So for me, it was an interesting read to see the inside of how he feels about playing for the national team, you know, because as we've uh, mentioned before in earlier podcasts about, you know, uh, the fans whistling when he was at practice for the Spanish national team because of his, um, you know, his support for Catalan independence. That brought me to these other points in the article about he really did a really great job of highlighting you know, athletes today talking about political issues, you know, and I know this happened in the States with uh, Kevin Durant, for example, who I love, he's on my team as the Golden State Warriors, you know, he came out and talked about Trump and his political views. And people in the media just, you know, they say, go play your sport, you know, you don't know anything about politics. And I really love this angle about, you know, just because you play football, or you're a professional athlete, you have no opinion on politics or other issues. And, PK addresses that really well in this article. I mean, it's just a really good long read. And for me, I just like the honesty that he always provides. And as well as talking about the life that he had in Manchester, which is fantastic. I don't know if you watched the video too on, on him talking about hot lemon pie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not watch the video. I just read the article and uh, I should say it's the title of the article is a long story. And uh, sure, if this article were released as a series of tweets, it would seem really long. But as a magazine article, it's it's very readable. You know, you can you can easily read it with like just one healthy, you know, sit at the toilet, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but so the the long story he's referring to is the story of a an athlete's career and and life. It's that it is a long story, and he actually is just giving you some some nice highlights. From that, including yeah, his time uh, with Sir Alex at, at Manchester United. 
Yeah, it was really great because he was just talking about the, you know, the new culture of living in Manchester. So basically in the beginning, he was living with a family and he was talking about how the food was completely different to what he was used to. And, you know, one time he came back from practice and they offered him, you know, a lemon pie for us. I don't think that would be uh, so strange, but you know, for here, they're not really used to having fruit pies, you know? And so they, they offered it to him and he's like, what's this, this hot (laughs) lemon pie. Right. So he tried it and he's like, ah, this is kind of weird. But he also talked about too, you know, obviously politics, but also about fate, about how fate plays in a footballer's career. And he has some stories about there about Bolton and Nicholas Anelka. That's, that's really fascinating and how he thinks these mistakes ultimately led him back to Barcelona and it's just it's just a really good read. Yeah, it really is. And as far as the political stuff goes, he he went out of his way. And I, I, I do want to hear what you think about this. Uh, he went out of his way to say that, you know, I've never actually said what I think about Catalan independence. I've only said and maybe this is maybe he's like uh, maybe he's uh, massaging the facts a little bit on that. I don't know. Uh, but as far as everything I've seen from him has always been about just giving the Catalan people the right to vote in a peaceful way on this issue uh, because there is enough interest in the area to do that. And he supports the right of the people to have the vote. And that's really what he's focused on. And he really clarified that I'm not saying one way or the other, whether I think one thing should happen or another thing should happen. But I do think that, you know, the democratic process should be the thing that, that takes, uh, like take shape. See, and you know, I've got my paper right here. This is my paper sound effect. That's right. So you can tell that I'm very informed. Yes. Uh, way to have the notes right yeah, in front thank of you. you. So I'm, I'm proud of you, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially what he's been always in support of him and Pep, you know, especially, I don't know if you saw Pep wearing a ribbon, I think it was a yellow ribbon during the premier league games. And basically, that's what they're doing. They're they're in support of this, you know, free democratic process to just to have the right to vote for independence, you know. And that's what it's really all about. And it, you're right; he has really never said it one way or the other. And I think that's important, right? Because obviously, he probably considers that a very private thought and private idea. So, um, you know, again, everyone's complicated. Footballers are complicated as well. And you know, PK has always been the forefront of you know Catalan. Um, independence just because he wants to support this idea. And so, you know, that's where all this, uh, you know, whistling and um, this controversy playing for the Spanish national team. But, you know, he is an important player. He wants to play for Spain. And I think ultimately he's going to continue. I think this will obviously be his last World Cup and his last uh, time with the national team. Yeah. And he actually said as much in the article that this next World Cup will be his final one. Um and I don't – he actually has a lot more uh, things to say about the political stuff and various stories uh, from Manchester United in more detail. And, of course, we don't want to go through the entire article. Uh, I would encourage everyone to uh, read it. Go So check out the uh, Players' Tribune website to read the article in any one of three languages if you want. But there's one other thing that I do want to touch on from that article, and that's what he has to say about playing with Leo Messi and what people ask him about – what it's like to play with Leo Messi. And I think actually I saw a couple of things that uh, highlighted the article on the web. <laughs> the web? What is this, the 90s? Uh, <clears throat> the World Wide Web. People are talking on the World Wide Web now. About <laughs> but just about how he says, like, in one sentence, he is an alien. He is not from this planet. Exactly. I, and the other thing, too, is, you know, PK and Messi have been, you know, together for such a long time. So I think... 
you know, I would love for, for PK to write like memoirs of training. You know, I think that would be really cool because, you know, we, I'm sure there's film of the training sessions, obviously they'll never really make them public, but I just think it'd be fascinating to see how messy trains and how that really go. You know, they only showed the roundas in the beginning, you know, when they warm up and so forth. But um, like you said, he is an alien and I, and I love all the stories that he gives because he always talks about, I think one of his other stories is, you know, when they play seven on seven, how he can just go coast to coast and just always score whenever he wants. It's just, it's a matter of, you know, how he's feeling at that moment rather than what the other team is doing. So, right. uh, you know, Messi is an alien and, you know, he's the best, man. Yeah. So really cool article and uh, everyone should read it. It's really fun. And I need to go back and check out some of these earlier interviews on Players Tribune. I wasn't, I guess I wasn't hip enough. You know, here's the thing. I'm, I love FC Barcelona. I do have other things going on, but I'm not, I'm not really like an overall sports guy. So I think that's how Players Tribune sort of slipped through my fingers a little bit. But uh, yeah, I got to go back and, and on my summer reading list uh, is also going to be, I think, Andres Iniesta's book, which I also have not read yet. Uh, but that, yeah, I, I got to go back and read some of these other interviews with like Neymar and Mascherano and that sort of thing. Well, those interviews are video interviews. Oh, okay. So I could just yeah, watch them. Yeah, so they're, you can just watch them. So they're really good. I like the Luis Suarez one because he talks about Luis Suarez. It's all about World Cup. And, you know, PK has a really nice way of asking these questions. You know, I would say, you know, other people, if they ask them, they'd be controversial for Luis Suarez. But he asks, you know, Luis Suarez about the biting incident against Italy and so forth. And Luis Suarez is very candid and opens, you know, talks about it. But again, he did the Mascherano. He did Neymar and Luis Suarez and they're all videos on YouTube oh. and it's really great. Yeah. With English subtitles. So it's really, they're really good. And they're about 10 minutes or more. So they're a really good watch as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, we should also share those on our, on our YouTube channel. There's a greater likelihood that I'll watch them if we do that. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about some community stuff. Uh, we actually, you know, every week, every episode, we talk about our community and the uh, Barcelona fan community that we have listening to the show. Uh, normally, we have something, uh, maybe a question, a comment from a listener. Uh, this week, we don't have those. Um, we are starting to do more interviews with uh, folks from Peñas all over North America. Hashtag North America Peñas. And that's with the Y-E-S uh, so you can follow that. You know, we've been talking with Michael Miller from Montreal, Victor Valencheck from Houston, and he's going to come up later in, in just a second. Uh, Vicente Chavez from Fresno. We're working on some other ones for the future. But uh, so we've got that. And there's this other thing that I want to sort of pre-announce or tease out a little bit. Uh, ever since this podcast started, I've had it in my mind that I want to be able to use it to do something that would make us – more than a podcast, right? Because I fully believe in the more than a club ideal, uh, the more than a Pena ideal to you know give back to the community to use whatever kind of like whatever kind of juice you might have to do something good for the community. So I've always wanted to do this particular project. Uh, well, at least for a while, I told you about it a few weeks ago, and now we're actually starting to move on it. And that's the prologue. Here's the thing. I want for uh, Barca Talk to raise enough money to send at least one young player to an FCB camp this summer in the U.S. For those of you who don't know, the um, FCB uh, soccer camps uh, are held 
Um, in various locations around the U.S., it's uh, they are continuing to grow, but there are a, a fairly limited number at the moment. And what we've done is we have sort of focused our efforts. We've been in touch actually with Victor Valencheck from the Houston Coolays, the uh, Pena there in Houston, where there will also be an FCB camp this summer to we want to raise money to send at least one kid to their Houston camp this summer. And so I'm very excited about it. We've been in talks with him. Uh, he's running kind of like the on-the-ground effort to essentially uh, find good candidates, good young players who would really benefit from this experience. He and his board at the Houston Pena are very excited about it. I'm very excited about it. And so we're actually going to launch the fundraising effort next week. But right now, I just want to give you um, a, a, a teaser or something. I want to give you a heads up, whatever you call it, that that's happening. Yeah, when you came up with this idea and you brought it up to me, I thought it was a great idea because, you know, as we've been talking with the Penas about what they do in the community, I thought, you know, this is just goes in line with that. So I think this is going to be an awesome fundraiser. I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity for a child in the Houston area to go attend this camp and to really kind of maybe propel their soccer career, you know? So, and with the help of our podcast and our listeners, we can definitely achieve this. So uh, I totally commend you on this. This is, I, this is one of the great ideas you've had on the podcast and I know it's going to be a screaming success. Yeah, and also it's really – it's not a whole lot. Like we – I don't want to get into our stats and how many listeners we have and all that. But I'm just saying if only half of our listeners gave a very small amount of money, we would absolutely hit a, a, a basic goal. And our, our, our initial goal, the, the sort of the floor that we're going to be after is $500. Very small. It's actually like very simple because that's the essentially the cost of tuition for the camp. Now, of course, if we can exceed that, then maybe we can uh, hook uh, hook up the the kid who we send uh, with maybe a new set of cleats or um, for a little extra fee. The camp will give you an extra uniform. The tuition gives you one in uniform, but like you know, for a little extra, you can get another one. Uh, just like some nice extras, that'd be nice. Or if we can get a thousand, we could send two kids. You know, and that sort of thing. So, but the basic goal that we're after, or that we're going to be after, is five hundred dollars, and that I think that should be pretty easy. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, you know, I think this this could be a life changing event for one of the kids that gets selected. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, Brian, but I did a soccer camp in in Bolivia. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, when I was eight years old, and it was the toughest thing I ever had to do because I didn't speak Spanish. Uh, I quit the camp because I couldn't hack it. Um, but I always regret that because it could have been a life-changing event for my football career. Now, I'm not going to put it in the same vein as this for the FCB camp, but I just think it's – if I would look back at it a little bit older, I would have appreciated more. And I know a kid's going to really appreciate this because obviously it's going to be in the Houston area and it's associated with FC Barcelona, which is obviously a global brand. So uh, really excited to launch this project and hopefully we can send – not one, but two kids. Let's try to get for those two kids. Yeah, I mean, like, the the more the better. But, of course, our, our main goal or our first goal is to get at least at least one kid. And I should also say that these camps are open to boys and girls, and I'm open to either. I would love to send a little girl to an FCB camp, quite frankly. Uh, and just to, like, give some people a little bit of information about these camps and what the kids get from these, they do get the, their one official uniform kit, which is fun. Um, they get 15 training sessions, and the coaches are FC Barcelona sort of certified coaches as well. So they're like some Spanish 
or Catalan folks in there. And then there are U.S. Uh, people brought in as assistant coaches, and there's a volunteering opportunity. And in fact, I'm I'm even considering maybe uh, trying to volunteer for this camp. But I don't know if I can make it down to Houston or not. Anyway, but there's five real game simulations. There's an athletic trainer on site for pre-wraps, injury aid. They get a diploma. They get a little gym sack. They get water as needed. And at the end of the camp, they get a medal. So it's a one-week camp. Uh, it's like nine to three, five days a week. And it just seems like a really, really cool thing. And I just want to do that for some some kid who would really benefit from it. Yeah, that that's my dream. Play football from nine to three. Oh my gosh, I would love that so much. Yeah, right. So yeah, for those kids that are joining this camp, you know, I'm super jealous. But uh, again, I I think we're gonna have a successful uh, fundraising on this, and I just think it's a great idea to be you know to help contribute to being more than a podcast Mexican club. Yeah. Now, what happened in Bolivia? How long was that camp? Like, why? What happened? <laughs> was it just the language barrier mainly or were they working you too yeah hard? It, no it was mainly the language barrier basically i was gonna go there for the whole summer the the i used to go to bolivia every three years for the summer to go visit family and to get better at spanish and and one of the times my father said you know would you like to go play football there and i was like yeah you know of course so i went there and it was just um Basically, it was a, a club that had this youth academy called the Tawichis, and they were really famous for their youth academy. And my dad pulled some strings and got me in the camp, and I was ready to go. And the thing is, you know, when I think I was eight or 10, I just can't remember the age, but I was around that age. And, you know, when they're trying to show you things, I had to really focus on what they were doing because I couldn't understand the language, and I was always doing it wrong. So every day I was the worst player because I just couldn't play. I didn't understand the language, and, and I started getting homesick. Um, I always had to run. I just remember that. Yeah. <laughs> because I did everything wrong. I was always running laps, and I couldn't play. I was not playing. I was not having fun. And after two weeks, I basically quit. And it's one of my biggest regrets because I definitely think if I would have just stuck it out, it would have made me a tougher person mentally, you know, to go through that. But also just footballing wise would have pushed me at another level just to complete that task. And unfortunately, I didn't. But, you know, it was so difficult. If I had my dad there or someone to help me with the language and just kind of support me a little bit more, I think I could have accomplish that goal but I was always there by myself I was staying with my aunt and uncle and I would always complain to them and cry and stuff and they're just like oh just you know just get through it and I was like okay I'll try <laughs> but great advice yeah, thank you yeah yeah thank you and ultimately I just quit and it's one of my biggest regrets because I you know I just think fondly of what could have been if I would have completed that that football academy yeah I'm not saying I sure be professional but just have that under my football CV, you know? Yeah. Actually, that reminds me of something that PK was saying in that article we were talking about earlier about, you know, I mean, because this, this language issue, it's it's a big deal. And he was talking about when he went to England when he was 17, 18, it was totally different. He would just go home. He was all alone, felt isolated by the language. He, you know, wasn't with his teammates that he'd grown up with playing at the academy. And it's, it's really hard. And I can imagine how that would have been really tough for an eight or 10 year old you know, either one. So, you know, like that, that doesn't shock me that, uh, that, that happened. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, is if I would have had a friend that came with me or like I said, my dad, or just someone that just could 
helped me in the first initial days because I knew I was good enough to play. It was just trying to cooperate and understand. And again, when I would get home, I would just be depressed because, you know, you're going to this camp to play quote unquote football and try to learn. And I wasn't doing either. I was just running because I was so bad. I couldn't understand what they were trying to tell me. So, yeah. and it, yeah, so uh, my dad still brings it up. You know, he's like, remember that time I spent so much money to send you to Bolivia and you failed. And I was like, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, so to bring it back to these FCB camps, there is um, on the FAQs page, there is a question about, you know, what language, speaking of which, uh, that the, you know, the practice sessions and the lessons are held in. And it is primarily English and that could actually be, you know, a very important question for for anyone who wants to go. Of course, it's in the U.S., and you know, there's probably a greater likelihood that um, that English would be the language spoken. But you know, in Houston, you never know. But the primary languages in these camps are English and Spanish. So actually, I, again, I do think Houston is a great place for us to pilot this project. So very excited about that. Now, there is this other part of our community, and this is the Barca Talk Patreon page. So if you don't know, Patreon is a simple and user-friendly way to support creative work, uh, such as this podcast. So if you like the show, we're asking you to become a Barca Talk supporter for just $3 a month. So this podcast is and always will be free, but those $3 a month are mainly to support the podcast if you like it. But also, with that $3, uh, we have our special Patreon page where we do some sort of patron-only things. Um, Mainly, we do a La Liga roundup on Mondays, which we do as a short video, and it's uncut, so you get to, uh, you know, you get to experience Barca Talk a little bit on the raw side. And any other bonus audio, video, live streams that we choose to do, that sort of stuff. But also, we have a goal in terms of number of supporters. And once we meet that goal, we're going to do a drawing for a Barca jersey is what we've decided on. In the future, we would love to do more as we get more patrons, various Barca gear, uh, memorabilia, that sort of thing. But right now, our initial goal is to reach 100 patrons for the show. And once we reach that goal, we're going to hold a drawing from the pool of patrons for a customized Barcelona jersey. Hopefully a 27-2018 jersey, if we can get to that number by the end of the season. It might wind up being a 2018-19 jersey, but, you know, fingers crossed that uh, we can get 100 patrons before the end of this year and we can hook someone up with a 27-18 jersey. And to do that, you just go to barsatalk.net, click on support, and then click on the Donate Now button to join the community and become a supporter. Now, Gabriel, if you were to get a custom jersey, I know that you would get uh, number 10, no name, because you're iconic like that. But I was thinking, I really like the away jersey this year. I like that maroon color. I'm almost tempted to get an away jersey. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more particular just to the... The red and blue. I just, I just think that's so iconic. You know, it's almost like the Yankee pinstripes. And uh, I would definitely get an older one. I, I like retro jerseys more than the newer ones. Yeah. I don't know which one I would get. Um, I, you know, one of my, you know, when I really started following Barcelona was the ninety nine two thousand. So I think I might get that jersey if I had to choose. But I also like, you know, the ninety, you know, ninety four Dream Team type of jersey. Oh, you know, yeah. 90, that thing. So I don't know. I, I, I definitely lean towards retro more than the new stuff. So, 
Yeah. In fact, in fact, I don't have a jersey right now. That's that's the other thing. I need oh, to get a man. new one. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm so not, if we get to Brian, 200 supporters, we'll have a drawing <laughs> for one jersey for a listener, and then we'll get we'll also get Gabriel a jersey. I'm just not I'm just not a big jersey guy. You know, I like I I used to have more jerseys when I was growing up, and the only jersey I have right now is a retro uh, Golden State Warriors uh, basketball jersey, but I, I never wear it. It just hangs in my closet. I I have uh, scarves of FC Barcelona. I have two T-shirts, um, but for jerseys, I, I you know it's cool. I, I have no opinion for and against. I just I I personally just you know you I'm not a big jersey them. guy. Yeah, you I just, just don't wear they're them. In, so. They're in your closet or your dresser or whatever, and you just don't find yourself wearing them. I have two jerseys, and only one of them fit. So I, w- I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind a, a, a second one that fits. That'd be nice. And, of course, I would, I would maybe get Sergio Roberto. But uh, I, I do prefer, as far as home jerseys go, I do prefer if it's just stripes. Yeah, I, me if, too. Is, if, I don't care if they're vertical or horizontal, but I just like regular stripes. I'm not super into this uh, – this jersey this year so yeah maybe we could even hook up uh, a retro jersey if that's um, that's an option because it'll probably cost about the same maybe even less there is electronicbay.com on the world wide web correct i've heard of this web but what is, what is this web you're talking about i only have aol right now so. it's like a network uh, <laughs> it's like computers talking to each other oh you mean like skynet <laughs> <laughs> it's like quantum link <laughs> ah okay 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 <laughs> Do you have Prodigy? Anyway. I used to. <laughs> uh, now, briefly, I do want to touch on this, that you, you just brought this up and added it to our, our notes for the show, uh, that today, the, the day that we're recording this, which is Saturday, uh, is the second anniversary of Johan Cruyff's passing. It's crazy to think that it's already been two years, and you know, on Twitter, everyone has the hashtag as Johan Cruyff, so I just thought it was something we should bring up obviously because you know he's the most influential person in FC Barcelona's history uh just with everything he's done with La Masia the style of play that he brought um you know a true genius of football and you know more and more when i watch documentaries about him it's just so impressive how he was able to think outside the box you know we always have people you know like you were saying the 80s tech you know we have Steve Jobs you know and these people that sprinkle throughout history that just somehow were able to think outside the box and revolutionize something. And he was able to revolutionize football with the, you know, total football with the Dutch team and everything. So remember Johan Cruyff on this day, Saturday, March 24th, you know, it's already been two years. It's crazy. That's already been two years. I mean, it's just kind of time just passes by, but his legacy was always be forever embedded in Barca's history. Yeah. And of course he was active within the club and without the club, even after he left as manager, you know, he was always a member. He was, uh, he was, uh, and then he went on to. He was working for the club. He was always involved with the club, uh, even until I think right up until he uh, he passed away. And you know, like you see those images on Instagram or whatever of uh, the sort of the sainted, you know, the the, the Johan Cruyff with the halo around him, and then there's another one of Leo Messi. And what's really interesting is that those are the only two of those that I've ever seen, as far as the saints, like the canon of. <laughs> of FC Barcelona Saints because he really did change everything. I mean, I would also put Pep there too, right? So the three of them kind of as the almost like the holy trinity of Barca, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's just crazy that, you know, um, you know, a legacy like his, you know, obviously will be forever uh in Barca's, you know, history, but also it's just 
again, I just, I just can't believe that it's already been two years. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, with death and so forth, you know, with time, it just passes. And, you know, that's, what's great about social media. You get these, these uh, reminders of, of these days and get to remember them. And yeah. So thanks, Johan. Yeah. Thank you, Johan. It's a good day to remember him. Now let's talk about some football. There was a little bit of FC Barcelona football, uh, and actually there is going to be some after we record this. I'm going to watch the Barca B game on Sunday. And so on Monday, uh, we won't have a La Liga roundup on Patreon, but we will be able to talk about the Barca B game. And and strangely, I think because of the international friendlies and the fact that none of the major leagues are happening, B in here in the States is actually carrying this Barca B game. So I will have watched the entire game and not just had to deal with a highlight reel that cuts very like weirdly like a bad dream um, which is what I got to watch with the FCB Femini game but you actually got to watch the entire FCB Femini game beginning to end like a normal person yeah like a normal person I watched the whole match so it was it was a really entertaining match all I can say about this match is in Spanish here in Spain they always use this word sufrir which is to suffer oh yeah and they use it all the time in football. And I've never heard this before I got here to Madrid. And it's a weird type of verb, right? Because to suffer, like you think of something more tragic or more drastic, you know, but in football terms, they use it all the time. And basically it's just kind of, you worked really hard. You were on the defensive too much and you got a good result. So that's essentially what that revolves. The Femini lost two to one, but Brian, I'm telling you, this match could have been nine, one, ten, one, something like this. Yeah, I mean, just based on the highlights, that's what it looked like to me. Now, just to make sure and uh, be clear about what we're talking about, we're talking about the Women's Champions League first leg of the quarterfinal round with Olympic Lyon, and they played this game in Lyon, and the women did lose two to one. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy just from the from the first minute on. Lyon, man, they just First of all, they're physically dominant. They're all super tall, super fast, pushing the ladies of the feminine off the ball as much as possible. Their possession of Leon is impressive. Just within the first five minutes, I think they had three shots on goal. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was crazy. And if it wasn't for Panos and her, you know, her ability, she was really on. And it's it's one of those things where this happens in hockey a lot of times, Brian, where a goalie gets so many shots on them that they get in the zone, right? And I believe that's what happened with Panos because Panos had so many shots on her that she was so warmed up essentially that she was in the zone and she was making save after save after save. And Leon just brought it, man. And, you know, finally in the 44th minute, Leon broke through with a really nice goal. I don't know if you saw the highlight on this. The um, it was scored by Morasan. I think I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, she had a nice uh, finish with the right foot. It was almost like it was almost as uh, a trick shot type of thing because you wouldn't shoot the ball that way. It was done in stride, and she hit it cleanly past Panos, and they were able to get the first goal before halftime. But the Femini were able to, you know, they were just as the commentator was saying, just hold tight, just hold the line. You know, that's that's all they could do. You know, because they had no possession. They had no shots on goal. The only times they had some dangerous play was on some random counterattacks. But Lyon, man, they, I was just so super impressed of their ability to play. And But, you know, the second half brought a different type of 
um, luck for the feminine. I don't know. Did you see – you saw the highlights, right? Yeah, I did see the highlights. And yeah, the thing that immediately became apparent to me was just how many shots Leon was getting and how many shots Barca was not getting. And also just the incredible saves that Panos was making. And I think you're absolutely right. She's just getting so many shots on her that she was really in the zone and she was making some incredible saves. And, you know, in the weeks past when we've talked about the women's team, uh, we've noticed there were a couple of goals that Panos kind of gave up by maybe coming out of her box either too late or too early or not timing that right or not being aggressive enough and just kind of being stuck in uh, no woman's land. And then getting scored on, so like maybe some bad decisions on on her part in the past. But in this game, man, she really was on top of it, making some incredible saves. And of course, if if you're just looking at the highlights, you can tell like, well, it's just a matter of time before Leon get through, right? They're they're getting so many good shots in. It's just a matter of time before they break through, and they did. But they didn't break through that much. They only scored the two goals. Exactly. And the other thing too is, you know, in the past weeks they're playing with a high line. But in this match, they just couldn't do that. So there was no gap between the line and Panos. So she was just able to make more saves that way, right? She wasn't, as you said, in no women's land, right? She wasn't in that space. But man, I, for me, there was just, this team of Lyon is so stacked. The way they were able to uh, pass with each other, their defense, they had this center back that was, it looked like Umtiti's cousin. Like she was, <laughs> she was so dominant in the air and just so controlling of play. Man, it was just. I mean, it, Brian, I'm telling you, when I was watching live, it was just shot after shot after shot. But it was one of those things that you know, in my experience of watching football, this type of you know Champions League or World Cup, you know, in the first 20 minutes, if you can hold that, you know hold it as best as possible, you're not going to get blown out. And that's essentially what happened with the Femini. I mean, they only gave up the first goal in the first half. And the second half, they looked much sharper, much better. And also, I think Lyon was a little bit tired from attacking so much. You know, they yeah. kind of let, they let Femini get possession. They were able to string some passes together. They finally got the goal that tied the game in the 57th minute on a – or sorry, not the 57th, but on the 76th minute on a corner kick where Patrick Guijarro, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't she swung Guijarro? Guijarro, there you go. Guijarro. She swung in this wicked corner kick where the keeper tried to make a save and she made an ugly save and it went into the goal. So they were able to tie the match. But after that point, Brian, Leon went to another gear. I mean, another gear because they were basically pissed off and they're, they realized that, you know, the feminine scoring this goal was a huge moment. And Leon just came back, and nine minutes later, they were able to score another goal and get the two-one victory. Yeah, as soon as as soon as the women scored and equalized, the the women of Leon were like, "Not in my maison." You know, <laughs> there's my. <laughs> and actually, that corner kick was incredible because it almost went in all by itself, uh, but there was a slight defect. I mean, it, the the swerve on it was just insane, uh, but there was a little bit of deflection, and then um, I actually forget who got the headed who headed it in ultimately, but that's how they got the the equalizer. But there was that, that moment earlier on in the 57th minute when Tony Duggan had what looked like, what should have been, it should really, really should have been a goal. And she wound up uh, sending it skyward. And I'll bet she felt not so great about that in the moment. And maybe even after the game, she's like, I really should have, you know, I really should have scored on that opportunity. It was a really good chance, but you know, th- these things happen and they were on the back foot so much of the game. It's not uncommon to sort of get a little bit in your head, a little bit out of it and to not capitalize on those opportunities. So, you know, I ain't mad at her, 
but <laughs> but I'll bet she's a little bit disappointed in herself. Yeah, on that play, I just didn't think she thought she was going to be as open as she was. And the ball kind of ate her up a little bit, you know, where she thought the ball, she had more time on the ball. And then she thought that she was going to be more covered. It was kind of like a combination of those two things. And she, technically she wasn't able to put her foot properly and she was skied the ball. So, yeah, uh, you know, but in this match, she had two or three opportunities to actually shoot the ball. So she would, you know, cause she was more concentrated on defense. I mean, they had to defend like crazy the whole match. So, but on the 80th minute, they, the Leon scored a really nice goal. It was a nice one-time shot and yeah, they were able to take the two, one lead. But again, as we always say in champions league to get that away goal is huge. And they go back to the mini study and hopefully, you know, with some support and, you know, if they can get an early goal or just withstand their pressure, you know, who knows what can happen. Yeah. And I really do hope that a lot of fans come out to the mini study for that match because that away goal is really crucial um, so ultimately, all we need to do is, uh, I mean, you know, it's not so easy, you know, based on the first match, it's not going to be easy. But all that needs to happen is for the women to score one goal at home and and hold Leon scoreless. Right now, of yeah. course, Leon are really, really, really good. Yeah, that's what I have in my notes. I just like Leon are really, 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 really good. I mean, they're really good. I mean, I, I this is the first time I've seen them this season, and they're definitely the favorites to win the Champions League. I mean, they are super. You know, it's like one of those things where they have been a team and a formation of this women's league and so forth for such a long time. You can tell because the way they play, the talent they have, they just they just look as though they're maybe five years ahead of the Femini in talent and style and tactics, you know? Uh, but with Femini getting more talent like Dugan and Martins, you know, we're, we're approaching. And to have a 2-1 loss, where last year I think they lost 5-2, to two, yeah. you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction. But it's, you know, the, the next leg is going to be a really difficult match for the Femini. Yeah, so again, I do hope that a lot of fans come out and show some support, and it's not out of reach, so... Here's hoping, you know, I got fingers crossed that that's going to come through and the women are going to make it to the next round. Now, let's talk about some international friendlies and and, and close out this episode. All right. So, yeah, we had, so obviously since we're on international break, there was some matches played last night. We're just going to highlight five matches that I thought were the most important or most impressive. Um, again, first of all, Brian, only tw- 12 weeks away until the World Cup. I'm super excited yeah i'm super excited too and i don't even know what we're gonna do about the world cup as far as the show goes we should talk about that later but anyway <laughs> let's talk about these friendlies yeah so the first friendly i just want to highlight this this game was pretty boring i just saw the highlights but uh was england against the netherlands england won one nothing the only thing i want to talk about is that on the dutch team i didn't recognize one player and that is such a a weird thing now obviously they're not going to be in the world cup this year but when i saw the roster I think there was one player that I recognized from Liverpool, but the others are not well-known names. You know, from the last World Cup, 2010, that team was stacked, you know, with Snyder, with uh, Robin, with um, Van Persie, with all these guys that were pretty much in the prime of their careers or late prime. And now the Dutch have to really reinvent themselves. A lot of these players were really young and but it's just crazy to think that the Netherlands are going through this cycle now where they have a lot of unknown players. So, um, yeah, so that was the, the only thing I wanted to mention. Obviously, England won one, nothing, nothing too crazy about that match. Yeah. And but yeah, it is funny just how quickly these things can turn, how like Netherlands could be in the World Cup final in 2010 and then 
eight years later, two World Cups later, they're not even in the final, and they don't. They have a bunch of well players we haven't heard of yet. At least maybe it's a, a very young squad. I don't know. Yeah, it's a very young squad. It was very the squad was you know players from the Dutch league, so the Dutch league isn't one of the top four leagues, so they're kind of go under the radar a bunch of times. So, yeah, but I just wanted to talk about that. The next match I wanted to talk about was the Brazil-Russia match. Brazil won 3-0. Um, two, you know, t- two of the goals were scored from Coutinho and Paulinho, so really good for them. But for me, I think the biggest thing that I saw in this match was, first of all, no David Luiz. And they brought Miranda back, which I think is a really good upgrade because David Luiz is not a good defender. <laughs> and Miranda is a huge upgrade because you know he's going to be really physical in the box. Him paired with Thiago Silva is a very formidable center back. Now, when you have those two guys, now Brazil's not as weak in defense as they were in the last World Cup. If they have Neymar on this squad, is you know healthy. And what I saw the highlights, this Brazil team definitely look, looks much stronger than the last one. So I was really impressed with their game of play, especially the lineup that the manager picked wasn't just all superstars. It was a good mix of some, you know, hardworking players with some talented players, you know, the the named players. And if they do that, I mean, that's really the formula that you have to do for these international games. You can't just have all star names because no one's going to do the work. You know, (laughs) you have, you have to have a Casemiro in there, you know, because he's the guy, you know, he's the guy that's going to defend, and do the work that maybe a Fred won't do, you know, these type of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another note that you had here on our our document for the show is that they looked like they were playing in better formation. And I did actually manage to watch a good bit of this game. I, I came in with – actually, well, maybe not a good bit, but I came in with about 30 minutes left. I got to see Coutinho score on the, pe- the penalty and Paulinho score with the uh, headed cross into the box where he was open. It was very nice. Uh, but in general, I – it does look like they're playing in better formation. They're staying more organized. And I think that's really what, what got them in the last World Cup. Exactly. And I think it really starts with the Miranda change because, you know, David Luiz on, you know, if you're playing FIFA is a much, much sexier pick, you know, for this Brazil team. Right. But you need to have these guys, you know, Miranda, Casemiro, if you're the Brazil manager, that are going to defend and do the nasty work that needs to be done on these type of matches, right? So having Miranda and Thiago Silva, that sets the battery for them. And then they had Danny Alves, who for me, I didn't think he had that great of a match. He had some really bad crosses, but he did have one that, um, you know, had some dangerous play. But for the most part, you know, they haven't been able to find a right back to replace him. So obviously he's going to get the 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 nod in the world cup but you know from if we look at last world cup and this world cup i definitely think this brazil team is a lot stronger and especially they didn't have neymar and if they have neymar in that fold all of a sudden that just puts them at another level yeah no absolutely uh the next match argentina italy argentina won two zero messi did not play apparently he's been injured with a hamstring for more than one month and a half as a you know, that's just the news that just came out. So he did not play. But um, I watched a lot of the highlights from this match. I was really interested to see their formation. And it's the same thing. Sampaoli, the manager who used to be the manager of Sevilla, I think he's the right man for this job. I think he's not in love with the sexy players, as we just talked about, you know. Right. He did, you know, he used more hardworking players that are going to follow his formation. And, you know, they were able to get two goals. And it was a really, really nice goal by Banega from Sevilla. I don't know if you saw that goal. It was a really nice give and go at the top of the box. And he was able to finish. But most importantly, they just, 
you know, the hardest thing for the national teams because they don't play that often is having a formation, having the discipline on defense and trusting your teammates, right? So I think that's why Spain in 2010 had such good uh, results because they had half Real Madrid, half Barcelona. So the, the players knew how to play with each other. And I think that's important when you're doing these national team lineups. You know, you have to have these chemistry slash, you know, talent-based lineups. And I think this lineup that Sao Paulo rolled out was a really strong, you know, more defensive-oriented team. But they looked really well, and Italy didn't really have that many opportunities in the whole match. Yeah, well, Italy's going through a tough time right now. I mean, they're not even going to be in the World Cup. They, you know, they're in a, a, a really bad situation of transition, I guess. So, yeah, I wouldn't expect a whole lot from them right now. They need to, they're at the beginning stages, I think, of what will be a two to three year rebuilding project. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they still have Buffon on there. He made some really great saves in this match. But ultimately, I think this, you know, obviously this is World Cup final or bust for Argentina. They really need to take advantage of Messi's last World Cup. I mean, this is probably going to be his last World Cup run. Um, he's in the prime. And if Sam pa- Pauli can configure the team and the tactics and the formation to really support Messi and get the best out of the team, they could go really far because they're really talented as always. Yeah. And I, God, now, now that we're talking about it, this is starting to shape up to be a really interesting World Cup. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the uh, maybe some other major players yet, but already we're talking about Brazil looks really good. Argentina can definitely is looking a lot better and they were already looking good in the first place. Sampaoli's the right man for the job. And then, you know, in just a minute, we're going to talk about Germany versus Spain. So it's, it's heating up and I'm starting to get even more excited about it, but real quick, uh, let's check in on Colombia versus France. What happened with that friendly? Yeah, so this was, I think, the most exciting match of the night just because so many goals were there and there was a lot of back and forth. France went up 2-0 in the beginning. France is, you know, super talented. They have a really young team. But, you know, to go up 2-0 and not to close the match, just as they did in the the Europa final as well, they were up 1-0 and they couldn't close the match. This is something they have to learn. You know, these are, you know, obviously last night's friendly was just a friendly, but at the same time, it's a trend that's happening. You know, they're able to go up early, but then they kind of, you know, let the foot off the gas a little bit. And France went up to nothing. Like I said, Giroud had a goal. Even Giroud scored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even Giroud Giroud is scoring. eh, What kind of game is it really? Yeah. He scored the first one, which was fine. He was a poacher's type of goal. Um, I think he's just super overrated. I, I, he doesn't do anything for me. I don't think he, I mean, yeah, he's a point man up there at the top, but ultimately he doesn't really do anything for me, but, um, Colombia was able to weather the storm. You know, you forget that they have James and they have Falcao. The first goal was a lucky goal, but they got the goal. It was basically a cross. Uh, Hugo Lloris thought it was going to be tipped. So he reacted to the tip, but no one tipped it. So it went through, you know, through the goal, basically. Um, the second goal was for Colombia was really nice. It was Falcao's uh, one-time uh, touch goal. It was really, really nice. Falcao's had a really nice renaissance in France. You know, he went to Chelsea and had a really bad time there. But, you know, the time in Atletico Madrid and this time in France, he's always produced goals, and he's going to be a dangerous player in the World Cup. Uh, he's got some speed. He knows how to play with James. He links up with the other players really well. And in the last goal, Colombia um, got the game winner on a penalty from Umtiti. Again, Umtiti. Titi was paired with Varane from Real Madrid. I don't know if it's, you know, there's that lack of communication or trust, but in that penalty, it was a heavy foul. You know, it wasn't anything drastic. It was just a really heavy foul in the box. 
obviously in the friendly, you take that chance. You know, he was going for the ball and he went for the, he got the player instead. So a really exciting match. Columbia ultimately won three, two. And again, Columbia is one of those teams too, that with the right draw, you know, in the second part, they could really find their rhythm and, you know, you forget how good Hamas is. You know, Hamas is a really, really good playmaker. And he, for some reason, when he plays on the national team, he's just a different player. I mean, that's how he got signed with Real Madrid, having a really great World Cup. And he just he's another level when he plays with the national team. Yeah, he loves playing for Colombia. And when he does, he he shows up like more than he does for his club. He's a real he's a true countryman. Yeah. And the other note, too, is Yari Mina played, too, for Colombia. He got the start. And so he was able to play. So again, he's another important player for their team. But Colombia has a good mix of veterans with new young talent, which I think is important, you know, in that World Cup run when you have so many games close to each other that are really intense. So again, Colombia weathered that storm in, in Paris at the 2 nothing. It could have been 4 nothing easily. Yeah. But they weathered it and they were able to win 3-2. So that was a really impressive victory for Colombia. So that gets us excited for Colombia. So I'm going to look going to be looking out for them. Okay, and then there was I think you were saying that this was probably one of the better games that you were watching, Germany versus Spain. I mean, first of all, the talent on the field is just <sighs> lights out, man. I mean, <laughs> It's 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 remarkable how both teams have been able to restock and continue the run that they're on. You know, these are both the last two World Cup winners. When you had the lineup of Spain, you're just like, wow, like what is going on? You know, they had Isco, Coque, Iniesta in the midfield. Oh wow. Like, Jesus Christ, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then for me on defense is even more impressive. They had Jordi Alba. PK Ramos and Carvajal like that is his yeah yeah I mean it's you know you have the mix of Barca and Real Madrid but I think the best parts of it you know you have the speed Jordi Alba for me had the best match of the night with Iniesta them on that side with that chemistry they were able to work uh, Germany but again remember we talked about last episode about Rodrigo Mm -hmm. I as I have here in the notes is he the new David Villa for the national team oh maybe he looked amazing last night because not as, not only is he a point man up there but he's fast ah. and he's the opposite of Diego Costa where Diego Costa is more lumbering you know right <laughs> in that first goal uh with Rodrigo and David Silva it was a really nice pass and Rodrigo just turned and shot on Ter Stegen and was able to score but the movement that Rodrigo has because he's a forward and has just better movement I think he ultimately could be a better fit as the number nine up there for Spain going forward as opposed to Dino Costa. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't even watch the game. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to after we record, but I, <laughs> I haven't watched the game at this point and I, I can tell you right now he's, he's better. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, the thing is the way he was able to read the passing from David Silva and Iniesta and Coke and so forth was just a better flow. And it's with Diego Costa up there at the front, he's just more of, you know, the traditional postman with his back to goal and headers, you know, but the way Spain likes to play on ground, I think Rodrigo would be ultimately a better fit. And, you know, he had a really great performance last night. The other thing too, Thomas Muller, that guy just keeps scoring goals. He had a really nice long distance shot from outside the box. It was kind of like a surprise shot. He beat De Gea. And, but I mean, both teams have so much depth, both teams. uh, I think it was about 50, percent possession for both teams but it was just kind of at moments where one team had more possession in that run but man these 
man, Germany is just so good. And it's really great to see Ter Stegen get a start as well. Yeah, I was I was actually going to say that like not only the players, the, the outfield players, but two great goalkeepers in that game. Ter Stegen and De Gea, those are two great guys. Exactly. And also just the defense on both teams. Um, if you watch the match, it was really entertaining because they were both pressing high. Um, the passing, you know, there was a lot of give and goes that were going through. And ultimately, it was just a chess match between these two teams on the fly. And it was really entertaining, even though it was only one to one. There was a lot of opportunities for both teams. And, you know, for me, the top five teams that I'm going to predict for my top five in the World Cup right now, just after all the friendlies I saw, I know there's just friendlies, but definitely Germany, Spain, Argentina, um, France. And um, who would be the last one? I would even put Colombia up there. I mean, Colombia looks really, really good. No one wants to play them. Ah, okay. No one wants to play them. I would either put Colombia or Brazil up there. But Colombia is just one of those teams that have nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, and that's like the most dangerous type type of team to play. So, but, you know, a really exciting night last night to watch all these friendlies. You know, not only were they good uh, teams paired up against each other, but – they really were kind of going after it as well because a lot of times these friendlies, you know, they don't do anything, but it was really entertaining. And yeah. And Spain's going to play Argentina, I think on Monday or Sunday. or something. Yeah. That, so. that should be fun to watch also. So yeah, international friendlies, we're getting psyched for the world cup and we're going to figure out what, if anything, we as a show, we're going to do uh, during the world cup this summer. And that's fun and all, but I'm, I'm also looking forward next week to seeing FC Barcelona back in action. We'll be able to talk about the Sevilla match and get back into Barcelona world. Correct. We have the last push, you know, with Champions League and La Liga. So it was good to have this little international break. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get back into the fold with FC Barcelona back in my life. Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barsatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barsatalk.net to do that. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.